Well, good morning. Welcome to this Sunday of worship. That was great. We can all pack up and go home now after a worship time like that. Amen. No, seriously, we just praise God for his spirit moving amongst us, that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And I pray that today our souls would know that right well. And I agree with Heather. May we know that. You know, we talked about today, like his peace, his freedom. Give us wisdom to see ourselves like you do. And so that's what we're going to kind of be talking about some today. But let me recap. We've had a great time in Thessalonians last week. We had a great teach from Kevin teaching on several, really, I don't know if y'all caught what Kevin had to do last week. He did five teaches in one Sunday. Did y'all catch that? Yeah, thank God for Kevin, right? Um, Not quenching the spirit and prayer and just so many things, right? But we've taken a journey as Paul has been teaching to this church at Thessalonica. He's talking to this church that's undergoing a time of hardship and persecution. Paul has ran out of city because he defied Caesar and since they, they thought that he was teaching about another king besides Caesar. And so that him and Silas had to escape with their lives and out of his pastoral concern, he sends Timothy to encourage the Thessalonians. And when Timothy arrives, he sees that this church has remained faithful. And so Paul writes them this letter to keep, to remind them to keep up the good work and to be prepared, to be prepared for the imminent return of Jesus. And so in this letter, we've had a great time. We've had several good teaches, teaches covering about continuing in the faith despite the trials and tribulations, avoiding sexual immorality, um, loving one another sincerely, and encouraging each other to work hard to earn a living. And, but once again, the overall theme really that we can take away from the book of Thessalonians is this, is that we need to live a life pleasing to God in light of his return and to keep up the good work. Amen, church? And so let's talk about that. But Paul, he did talk about some difficult things. And so that's, that's the overview. But our text today that we're going to specifically look at is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And let me read that for us in, through 28. And just as a quick, as I know, last service, people were trying to take notes on everything I was saying. You can open up the YouVersion Bible app, click on more, on that little tab over to the bottom right-hand side. I use it every week um, because I I don't write notes really good and pay attention. So you click on more, find events, Boys and Girls Club or New Heights will pop up, and all my sermon notes are right there verbatim. All right? So let me begin reading. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So let's set up this text today. This section of the text is still going on with Paul's kind of his intercessory prayer and his exhortation in light of everything he has just taught in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Paul is emphasizing holiness in light of being prepared for Christ's return. And so that kind of sets up our text. But here's a driving point that I want to send home for us today. God's plan is not just to save you and I from sin, but he also wants to transform us so we can do good for his kingdom now and in the life to come. Amen? I want you to know that you are already living in eternity now. God is not just waiting for the sweet by and by for you to start living for him and following him and for him to be transforming you. You are even living in that tension right now. God wants his people to be set apart so they can be used for his glory and for his honor. 
So a couple of points I want to break down. I think it's three essential points to make out of this text. We must trust that God is actively at work in our life to spiritually transform us. It's the first one and foundational. If God's will is for you is not good and he does not have this intent for you, then there is really no hope. And I think sometimes we can make that mistake as believers and just saying, you know what? I was born in a sin. I believe in Jesus Christ. That's good. I believe in him. But I believe God wants to go even further than that. Yes, he saves you from sin through Jesus Christ, but God himself wants to transform you. And we need to embrace that because that is not just I'm existing mindset. That is an overcomer's mindset. Amen. Andrew didn't say God came to break some chains. God came just to tug on your chain. God too came to break every chain. Second, we must be willing to intentionally engage in God's plan of sanctification in our lives. So God does have a plan to transform us, but we, we must be willing to engage. We may have made that first step and accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, but then the commitment in that is that we will follow him and that we will allow him to do his work in us to transform us. But it's not just a personal one, but that we also, the third one is that we need to be intentional to encourage one another in the process of sanctification. We need community. We need to encourage one another. This church was undergoing great difficulty. So could you imagine being a believer during a time of political and cultural uh, just turmoil? You needed the encouragement of your brothers and sisters to continue the good work and keep up the good work. And so those are the three main points. But this, I don't want this sermon to feel like it's just this intellectual, we're just looking at a text. I really want this sermon to sink down into your soul. I think that's where Paul was getting at. He's done some doctrinal teaching, but it is overall, this sermon is meant to encourage. The whole book is meant to encourage them in their faithfulness to God. And so when I look at this text, it's just, for me, it just rocks my world to picture that God himself, the God of heaven and earth, wants to personally work in my life to transform me. But sometimes that's so hard because I've come out of darkness. I still know the sin struggles that are in my own soul that want to overtake me. Even as we, a brother was praying with me, he said, how can I pray for you, James? And I said, I know it's not realistic, but I wish Satan would just leave me alone. But he's not. But you know, sometimes when Satan thinks he's doing something to tear you down, inversely, sometimes he actually builds you up. Because God's character is built into you more and more as you resist sin and you say yes to God. Amen? But I need to be able to, and this is my hope for you as a congregation, for all of us to grab hold to, is to picture the loving eyes of God looking into our soul and him affirming us, saying, I want to make you whole. Well, maybe I can't give you the word picture. Have any of you seen the movie Blood Diamond? If you raise your hand, if you've seen it, raise your hand. Okay. I got to do a lot of explanation here, right? But in the movie Blood Diamond, once again, in the continent of Africa, every time there's a resource found there, it usually gets exploited. If you didn't know that, that, is ha that happens a lot. And so, once again, the, the greed of the world and, and Africa is being exploited again. Except this time it's the diamonds. And what people are doing is, instead of letting, they, they are taking these diamonds and smuggling them out so Africa doesn't get the money from it, right? And then they are smuggling them out and they're using it though. These people that are finding are using it to fuel wars in Africa to control the government. And so what they do is they find these village people and they take them into slavery to mine for these diamonds. They are taking the kids and turning the kids into soldiers. But the process of turning these kids into soldiers, they have to do things to them. They use drugs, they use mind control to convince them to do things that go against otherwise what would be their nature. It feels very dark. 
But in the movie, it centers on this man named Solomon. And Solomon has a son, Dia. And Solomon loves his son, Dia, very much. And it ends up that they end up taking Solomon into slavery to mine for these diamonds. And they take his son, Dia, and turn him into a soldier. And because the, the leader of this group finds out that he recognizes that Solomon has found like this big diamond. It's like the diamond of diamonds and that, that Solomon has hid it. And the only thing he can use to get that diamond back is to control his son. And so he takes his son and makes his son a leader in this child army. But Solomon does everything he can to get back and to find his son. And so as we look at this clip, I want to show you. I want you to look at the loving, uh, the loving eyes of the father as he looks into his son who has been transformed into a cold killer and how he speaks to the soul of his son to win him back. So just watch with me. What are you doing? Dia! Young Bay! Young Bay! What are you doing? Bella Avanti of the Proud Mende tribe. You are a good boy who loves soccer and school. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister yonder. And you do, baby? The cows wait for you. And Babu, the wild dog who wants no one but you. Hmm? feel the embrace of the father as he looks at you and he says I know you've done bad things but you are not a bad boy you are not a bad girl I'm your father today you're going home with me and I'm going to be your father and you'll be my son I know you that dad looks at his son and he's like I know what they've done to you but I'm going to remind you of who you are I want to remind you of your family your connection I'm affirming with the gift I've seen in you you're mine and do you see that, son, that, that soldier transformed back into son? You know, there was a time when mankind was supposed to walk with God and enjoy intimacy with God. But Satan comes in and distorts that image. And we walk around with that distortion and feeling like I can never be restored. I'm always broken. I can never overcome it. I'm stuck where I am. But then God invades our space. He crosses heaven and earth in the form of his son through his Holy Spirit. And he looks at us and he says, son, daughter. I know he's made you do bad things, but you are not bad. Today you will come home with me.
I'll be your father. And you'll be my son. You'll be my daughter. Amen. So we are redeemed. Let's get into our text a little bit more to grab hold to this promise. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. First promise I want us to grab hold in this. It doesn't say this God over there, this God who does not really care. It says the God, that God himself, the God of peace. I want you to know, church, that God wants to be personally involved in your life. He's not distant. He is an ever-present help in your time of need. He is right there with you. God is a source of peace, but don't confuse this type of peace that I'm talking about like it's an absence of conflict. Actually, when we're talking about this peace, it more accurately reflects a state of being whole, of a well-being characterized by a reconciled relationship with God. When he's saying God is a God of peace, meaning you have peace because you have been reconciled with God. In other words, you have been reconciled. You are whole. This is not peace like no problems. This is I am reconciled. The conflict of my soul has been rectified in a relationship with God. What was wrong, what went wrong in the garden when there was separation has now been made whole by God himself, the God of peace. So the God of peace infers that he is the God that makes you and I whole. And here's one, maybe this is me being the counselor, but I just get it when we struggle in life. When I struggle in life is when I am living in a very fragmented life, meaning I am not experiencing the wholeness of a relationship with God or there are parts of my life that I still am needing to surrender to God. So how does that happen? Sanctification. Big Christianese word, right? Sanctification. You know, we are justified through Christ, meaning he makes us right. He paid the penalty for our sin, but it doesn't just stop at being justified. And that's the thing I'm concerned with, that we as the believers of God cannot just stop at we have been justified. We also must be sanctified. And what does that mean? Here's the definition. I'm taking it kind of a mix from Dallas Willard. Sanctification is an internal, lifelong process whereby you and I are spiritually transformed into Christ's likeness by the Holy Spirit. You get that? A lifelong internal process where we are spiritually transformed into Christ's likeness by the Holy Spirit. It comes with the promise that God himself will be at work in us to make us whole. And so what does that mean? How does that pertain to my life? The next promise that goes on, it says that God himself will sanctify you through and through. In other words, completely. There is no area of your life that is outside of the reach of God, that God wants to invade every aspect of your life where he needs to make you whole. But I know that can feel so scary, right? Adam and Eve, after the fall, did they run to God for reconciliation? No, they hid themselves, they covered themselves. That's just the natural reaction of sin. Sin draws us away from the holiness of God. But God is actually saying is, I see your unholiness, but I want to come in and make you holy. That is a great promise that God himself, the God of peace, wants to make you whole, even though he can see your unholiness. So I, I, one of those people, I know y'all aren't going to talk to me if I, by voluntarily, so we're going to do this together. I'm going to put some words on the screen, and you're going to read those with me, because I want us to apprehend these promises, right? So say this one with me, right? Everything, wait, let's see, I'm probably way off here. Yes, here we go. Everything about me has been set apart from sin to be used for God's divine purposes. Grab that. Everything about you has been set apart from sin to be used for God's divine purposes. 
What does it mean to live that? How does it feel to live from that place? Think about that. That God has already done it. He is doing it. That you live from this place. I love it in Ephesians where it says we are seated. It didn't say we will be seated. It says you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Present tense. I'm not a Greek scholar, but that's present tense. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now, right now, as you are, right now. What would it look like if everyone who named the name of Christ and was a follower of God lived that reality out? What power would be demonstrated by us? Healings and deliverance, breaking down the strongholds of Satan, speaking to power and speaking God's truth and his kingdom virtues and his ethos. Wow. And some of that is happening in New Heights. Don't feel beat down. We're doing good. But I want to continue to encourage you to keep up the good work and let's do it more and more as God transforms us, right? So let's talk about this idea. So sanctification, what's God's role and what's our role? Let's look at God's role himself, right? So God himself, and these are from the words of Paul. Once again, in Philippians chapter one, as he's talking to them, he says these very powerful words. I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, catch this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There might be somebody in here today that says, but not me, James. No, if God has begun the work in you, if you be faithful to hold to his unchanging hand, he will complete the work that he began in you. Can you receive that promise? I like that, amen, there we go, right? He can so what is God's role? God is very active in our sanctification process. He is the initiator, the sustainer, and the finisher. I think I could work that into a rap line right there. Um, I don't got those kind of flows, so I think. But, but he earned our sanctification for us by offering his sinless son, Jesus Christ. He disciplines us to move us from sinful living to holiness. Don't despise the Lord's chastening, but he chastens those he calls his sons. Why? Because he wants to restore us. Amen? He gave Jesus to be our example of what it means to devote our lives wholly to the Father. And then, of course, even after Jesus is taken from the world, he gives us the Holy Spirit to lead us in truth, convict us of sin, and produce spiritual fruit in our lives. So that's God. What about us? I think Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So wait a minute, what's our role in that, James? Our job is to reverence the fact that God is at work in our lives, to always live in awe of God. That's one of the reasons why Sunday morning worship is so important. And not just Sunday, any day. That's the point of worship. One of them is to always be reminded of the awe and majesty of God, that the God we sing about is the same God who is working in our lives, that has given us salvation. And why should we have reverence for that? Because the God of heaven and earth is working in your life and in my life to accomplish his purposes. You are a holy sanctuary. And how did people treat the sanctuary in Old Testament times? As very holy. Did you just run in God's temple unclean? No, because it was his holiness, right? 
So our role, we yield to our whole being to God, the Lordship of Christ, and the promoting the promptings of the Holy Spirit. By the Spirit, we put to death the deeds, of the, the deeds of the sin, or the sinful deeds of the body. And also, we take steps that will increase sanctification in our lives. Wait, what do you mean taking steps? Meaning, we need to make wise choices in light of the different struggles that we each know that we have. You know your struggles. I know my struggles. We each need to be aware of those struggles that we have. And then I got this one from Jim, right? And then engage in spiritual disciplines to be attuned to God, to feed our spirit, to starve our sinful desires. So our role in this sanctification process is, as God is trying to work in our lives, we work in concert with him. We join his plan of his sanctification in our lives. And when he points out our faults in our lives, we live in light of those things and we make wise choices, right? If you know your struggle, I'm, this is t- from the book of Jim, right? You know, Jim says, if you're a raging alcoholic after two drinks, don't drink two drinks. It just makes sense, right? Maybe you should stay away from alcohol if it causes you to walk in sin. But whatever that might be in your life, Lee taught on, on sexual immorality. If your struggle is having your cell phone by your bed at night, then maybe you should change your plan, right? Know what your struggle is and that you, because you say, I want to live a sanctified life, I will put up whatever barrier and distance between me and sin so that I can walk in God's holiness. Amen? And this applies to your whole person. So this is where I nerd out a little bit. And I got this from Dallas Willard's Renovation of the Heart. And I just want to talk about this. In a Jewish understanding, they don't, they don't talk about things in a compartmentalized way like, well, there's this, there's this, and there's that. They see everything as a whole. But one thing I believe as a counselor and one thing I've come to see is that you really can't deal with something unless you can see it. Does that make sense? And what I mean by see it, I'm not a naturalist. What I mean is that even those unseen things, we need to be aware of them so we can address them. Does that make sense? You with me? Even those unseen things, we need to be able to see so we can be aware of them and make changes. So we talk about the whole person, meaning there's no area of your life that God does not want to work in or to change. So this is how Dallas Willard, he talks about the spirit. And typically when you see spirit mentioned, and we talk about our spirit as the human spirit, not the Holy Spirit, that usually deals with our connection to others and to God. It's like a connecting place, right? This, our spirit connecting with the spirit of God and connecting with the spirit of other people. It's like the center of who you are. It's your will and your volition, your desires. Now, some people and theologians struggle with, is there a difference between spirit and soul? I'm not making an argument for either one. I just want you to be aware of your whole constellation that God gave you. In Dallas, when he talks about the soul, he talks about it as the component of the person that encompasses and interacts with each facet of who you are as a human being. So your soul plays like that middle role. It's what connects you to your, your spirit, but then it's also connected to your material person, your physical body. Okay, so this is dealing like with you, the way you think, your personality, that, those kind of manifestations. And all you Enneagram people, this is probably what it's measuring here, right? I'm a seven, by the way. <laughs> um, but then it connects us to our body. Now, the body part is the one we probably pay, we pay, our body grabs a lot of attention. I like how Dallas Willard says it. He says, apart from the transformative work of the spirit of God in our lives, what people are typically driven by is the impulses of your body. The body says, I want, I need, and we go for it. And so the body in this natural world, this kind of where it goes, Paul talks about the sinful deeds of the body, it craves more and more. It's never satisfied because why? The body was never created to live in separation from God. It was meant to be connected to God. So it's always going to want more and different and more stimulus. And so the body, is, it is a focal point of us with God and other people because we have these physical respondings in our body, right? So... 
but the scripture talks a lot about our bodies and how our bodies work. Matter of fact, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So we don't always have to be slaves to the impulses of our body. Because even our bodies, when Christ has came, Christ is just saying, hey, now your body belongs to me. Use your body to serve me. Well, how do we do that, James? You just said the, the flesh keeps craving for more and more and more. Well, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 26. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike, my, my, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Right? So Paul is saying, like, I'm out here preaching this gospel and living this life, but I do find sometimes in my body that it wants to go contrary to what I'm teaching and preaching. So he says, I strike a blow to my body. In other words, another translation says, he makes his body subject, and he brings it under subjection. So we don't always have to be slaves of our fleshly impulses. It, just like Angela said in the announcement, you can resist the impulse to stop at every garage sale and load up the truck, right? You know, that's one thing I love about Celebrate Recovery. At one church I went to, Celebrate Recovery, we didn't just frame it as for people who have chemical addictions. It was open to the whole church because we all have hurt habits and hangups. And you need to be aware of your hurts and your habits and your hangups because they will keep crying out for more and more and more. And AA, you say one thing, it says, one is too many and a thousand is never enough because the flesh will always cry out for more. But then Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says this too. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So all that, we've talked about the spirit, the soul, and the body. Here's what it really boils down to. The ideal of the spiritual life in the Christian understanding is one where all of the essential parts of the human self are effectively organized around God as they are restored and sustained by him. Spiritual transformation in Christ is the process leading to that ideal end. And its result is love of God with all of the heart, soul, mind, and strength and of the neighbor as oneself. That's spiritual transformation. Everything about you and me is centered around who God is and being transformed to that image and the, in, and the outworking of that because it's an internal process. And the way it works itself out is I begin to, because God transformed me on the inside, I've subjected my whole being to him, then it looks like on the outside that I'm loving him with my spirit, my, with my, my body, soul, and strength, and I'm loving my neighbor as I love myself. So here's one of those affirmations I want you to read with me again. It's going to be on the screen. Read with me. It says, everything about me has been set apart from sin to be used for God's divine purposes. I hope you can live that this week, that everything about you has been set apart to be used for God's divine purposes. And one thing we want you to hear here at New Heights, that doesn't mean if you are a paid religious professional, all of you are the priesthood of the believers. No matter where you are, you have been set apart to be used for God's divine purposes. Amen? So why do I need 
to be cleansed from sin. What am I preparing for? What is Paul preparing them for? And this reminds me of like when I was in the military and when dignitaries and senators would come and visit, we had to do these things. It would be hundreds of us on base walking around picking up rocks that were out of place and sticks and cigarette butts. And I'm like, why in the world are we doing this? The general is just going to drive through or the senator is going to go through and he's not going to care. He's not going to care. But in some ways they do, right? Because the idea, and when I became a believer, God helped me understand this. This is the same attitude I should have about Jesus coming back. That when he comes, will my life be in order? Did I subject myself to his cleansing process to remove those little blemishes that I could probably ignore? But will I subject those things and let him remove those things out of my life so that I'll be found ready when he returns? So in Romans 13, 11, it says this, and I think it's a good encouragement of what I just said. And do this understanding in the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Jim's been saying it for a couple of times up from this pulpit. I believe the day and the imminent coming of Jesus is soon upon us. But I'm not just waiting for the day that Jesus comes. I'm being sanctified to be used for God's divine purposes right here, right now, in light of the fact that he is coming back. So let's get into another promise, and we're, gonna, we're moving close to an end here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. I think we need to just engrave that on our, on our doors of our homes, right? The one who calls you is faithful. We're sitting in here today. If you're a believer, you're here because God of heaven and earth has called you. And you might be struggling right now with where you are in the process of sanctification, there might be that struggle that's at the forefront of your mind, that sin that sits deep down in your soul, this thing that you just keep saying, Satan, leave me alone. God, why haven't I overcome this yet? Here's a promise. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He is your father and he will look into your soul and he will call out his good in you and restore you. Amen? Yeah. So say this one with me. The one who calls me is faithful, and he will do it. When it feels like Satan is whipping you and working you over, when that struggle is upon you, the one who calls me is faithful, and he will do it. Amen? I just felt like there should be an organ. There was a plane going over, but I felt like there should be an organ queued up at that part right there. We can work on that one, right, Andrew? Get an organ in the background. And get ready to move into the last point. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 25. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Y'all, in the body of Christ, we need to be very intentional to encourage one another. And that is how Paul is closing this letter. He's saying, I've written this encouragement to you and I've taught you so many things about being faithful and continuing in the faith. But now... Make sure you read these words of encouragement to one another. 
and encourage each other. Because we need that in this time, right? We need to be intentional to encourage one another, to greet each other with a holy kiss. And so I want to move on into our application section here. And there's just a couple points of application, because this has been really good, and I hope it's been very encouraging to you. It's encouraging to me as I studied it. That the God himself, the God of peace, wants to work in my life. He wants to sanctify me. And he wants to change me. He wants to make me whole, spirit, soul, and body. That I don't have to be the victim of the urgings of my flesh, but that even my flesh can be brought under subjection. And that I have the community of believers that surround me and encourage me. So how do we live this out? I'm not going to teach this text right now, but Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, I like these questions. These are questions that go through my mind as a counselor. These are questions that go through my mind as a follower of Christ. Because after the fall, God asked some questions to Adam and Eve to help them be aware of their, their, their spiritual state. And these questions, I use these questions just to gain some awareness. So I can't, when I want God's sanctification in my life, I have to be aware of those areas where God is trying to work. And so God asked Adam and Eve some questions. First question after the fall was, God asked was, where are you, Adam? Sometimes I need to ask myself, where am I? Where am I at in connection to God and to others? Am I distant from God? Am I close enough to hear his voice? For him to sanctify me and work in me, I need to be in relationship with him. Right? So where am I? am I? Am I in fellowship with other believers? Am I in fellowship with my wife? The second question he asked him, because after Adam, after that question, you know, guy said, where are you? Oh, God, we knew that we were naked, so we hid from you. Before they were naked, it was no problem, right? But then God says, wait, who told you that you were naked? So you say, what in the world is that question? I hope no one asked me that question at work, James. But... But the, it, the, what God was really asking in this one is, who came out, who came and influenced you? Who is influencing you? Who or what is influencing you? Sometimes we have these subconscious impulses, our body, old sin habits, those old hurts, habits, and hangups that are still moving us. We need to be aware of, wait a minute, what's influencing me right now to make the decision that I'm making? What's moving me, Right? And then the third question he asked Adam, because neither him or Eve took accountability for their actions, is he asked them, what have you done? I need to stop and ask myself sometimes. I could blame everyone. I could blame Nicole. I could blame the girls. I could blame the new puppy in our house, right? I could blame anyone. But it's like, what have you done, James, that led to where you are? What have you done? Well, a lot of this message actually came from the book Renovation of the Heart. And hopefully in the fall, Kevin and I will lead uh, an equipped class and a Joshua Center community class to go through this book. It's a great book just to look, to study what does it mean to be a human person? What does spiritual transformation mean in my life, spirit, soul, and body? So that'll be a great time when we get ready to do that class, and there'll be more announcements about that in the future. But if you want to start reading it, it's a very heavy book. I'll just warn you on that one. I'm going to need the, the, the dummy version of it. So. Um, but then also there's prayer. For sanctification to happen in our lives, prayer is about asking God, to inviting him in to search our hearts, to bring that healing and regeneration to each aspect of our life. And so you could do that personally in and of yourself, but sometimes in life we all hit a place, a block, a blind spot, a place that we just have a hard time working through. I wanted you to remember, we always hear about the Joshua Center and we hear about the counselors, and that's really good. I'm one of them. But I also want to recommend to you our discernment prayer. That you can come in for a time 
and that you could have someone just sit with you and invite God into those spaces to walk with you through those blocks. Maybe you just keep having this, this, this struggle that just keeps going on and on and on. Maybe that's a place you need to invite God into and not hide from him and push away, but say, God, you promised that you would sanctify me and make me whole. This is an area where I don't feel whole and I need you. You can have one of our discernment prayer people walk with you through that. But then, of course, number four, which is central to New Heights, is be a part of a community that will hold you accountable for spiritual growth. That's what community groups are all about. It is about doing life together, but then it's about spurring each other on to growth. Amen? And then number five, once again, very practical. Know your tendencies towards sin and set whatever boundary in place that you need to avoid sin. Know what your hurts and your habits and your hangups are in life and then take proactive action to deal with those things. Amen? So at this point, I just want to close out with prayer. And this prayer that I want to pray and just bless you pastorally comes from Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters here at New Heights, since we have this confidence to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unseemingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Thank you all for this time. And I want to encourage you as we go into our ministry time right now, the worship team is going to lead us in an instrumental. I want to encourage you, the people, our prayer team, go ahead and come forward. That if you felt where God is maybe working in your life, maybe you have already made that step where you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've invited him into your life. But maybe you recognize there are some, still some areas of your life you need to invite God's help in. Come to one of these prayer partners so they can pray with you. Just pray and invite God into those places. But maybe you've never made that first step. Maybe you recognize, I want to be sanctified, but I can't do it without Christ. And I've never made that decision. And you want someone to pray with you to make that commitment to Jesus Christ, who tore the veil down through his body to bring you into his holiness and his righteousness. You can come and pray with us on that as well. I want to invite you into this ministry time now. Then after that, Andrew's going to transfer us into a time of communion. Thank you.